Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Welcome back, everybody, all around the world. Welcome back to this episode number 15 of the uh, podcast. It's great to have you with us, and it's going to be a great podcast, I think, today. We're going to talk some more John Adams on the podcast. Always always great to have John Adams, I'll tell you. I I like reading his stuff, and I like talking about the the man himself. He was uh, a fantastic individual, I I truly believe that, and one of the the best that this country will ever have. I, I, I scarcely can imagine this country producing a better patriot or leader of this country than John Adams. It would be very difficult. You know, It's I, I do marvel at that sometimes. This country, I, I really feel this country has struggled in a great many ways to produce the, the quality of people that were that were produced uh, around the time of the founding of this country that were that were there in the 1770s when this country was being created. It's it's very hard to get people of that caliber. It really is. But for some reason, this country and no other country on the, on the earth produced those those people at that particular time. That truly is something amazing, and I don't think that gets talked about quite like it should in in many circles. I really don't, and that's why I'm I'm glad to do this podcast because it gives us the opportunity to talk about that. It gives us a forum for that. Uh, for those of you who want to participate in the podcast, uh, it gives you a forum as well to talk about that to the extent that you want to participate in the podcast, of course. And if you're curious how to do that, leaving a review on the podcast helps with that. I try to track down the reviews wherever they're at, but right now it's largely on the uh, the Apple platform where I look for those. But um, also the uh, the Patreon side of my podcast work. That is to say, uh, patreon.com slash podcast with Roman. There's always the opportunity to go there and leave a comment or a question or something of that nature as well. But anyway, I, I think it's a great, great opportunity for us to talk about John Adams and everybody like him. I mean, if every leader of this country could be a John Adams, I think we'd have far less problems than we than we have. Or, or a number of other people, you know, there's there's other folks. Like I talked about Samuel Adams, another the, the two cousins, of course. Uh, Samuel Adams in the last episode of the podcast, him too, and a multitude of others. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot of others that, that were really great. If this country could produce people of that kind of quality, or even a Benjamin Franklin, for crying out loud, then this country would be much better off today. But I mean, and I don't, I don't even think people today, politicians, really even aspire to be these, these people. I mean, does anybody disagree with me out there? Does anybody think that politicians today aspire to be a Benjamin Franklin or a Samuel Adams? Because I don't. I don't think it's partisan for me to say that. I'm not going to go off on a tear here about partisan politics. I'm just saying. Or, you know, since the founding, not just today, since the founding. You know, since uh, since roughly the late, early 1800s. Has anybody really aspired to be a Benjamin Franklin or a Samuel Adams? Really? I, I frankly speak, I don't think so. And I don't think so because, and, and especially today, because we're so far from it. I've talked about this before, before. People talk about the Founding Fathers like their mythology. Like nobody could ever, that Samuel Adams couldn't possibly have existed because nobody could ever accomplish what that man did. Nobody could ever fight so strongly for freedom and liberty as Samuel Adams. Nobody could do it. So why would you even aspire to be like that man? That's a sad commentary on our country, that leadership refuses to aspire to be that quality of person. And until somebody does aspire to be that quality of person, we're never going to have it. It's never going to exist. That's a that's a little bit like uh, cursing the country to some kind of uh, dark doom. Uh, so let's, um, you know, keep a mind towards uh, aspiring to be a little bit more like a Benjamin Franklin or a Samuel Adams, I guess, at least in terms of uh, dedication to a cause. Uh, Benjamin Franklin surely had his flaws. Um, I could rattle those off to you right now, but honestly, I don't really want to get into that. But certainly in dedication to his cause, you know, he, he was a fantastic individual, fantastic individual. On that note, you know, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was credited with saying that we, I mentioned this last time on the podcast, last episode, that is, that he, um, just like John Adams, he was very clear that this is a republic and not a democracy. I got to thinking about that. And I I, I got to thinking about, you know, like presidents in, in this country's past, all the way up to today. Why do they, why do they continually refer to this country as a democracy when they, these are educated people who should know better. They should know 
that Benjamin Franklin said this was a republic. And they should know that John Adams and George Washington said this was a republic. Just like we've talked about on this podcast, I get it right from their writings. I'm not making this stuff up. We read John Adams. We're going to get to Benjamin Franklin, by the way. But uh, we read John Adams' last episode. He said very clearly this is a republic. It's supposed to be. That's the best form of government. That's what he said, basically. So why do presidents keep calling this a democracy? It's one of two reasons. Either they're dumber than a door handle or they're doing it deliberately. In other words, they're deliberately lying, more or less about what this country is. I don't think most presidents are dumber than a door handle. As a matter of fact, I don't think any president in my lifetime has dumber th been dumber than a door handle, so that means that they're doing it deliberately. So why are they doing it? Why are they doing that deliberately? Why are they calling it a democracy when they know it's not? You should ask yourself that question and think really long and hard about that. It's one of those thought questions I thought I would throw out there for you folks. Because uh, again, this is the Thinking Persons podcast. This is not Check Your Brain at the Door podcast. There's a lot of podcasts like that, by the way. But that's not why you're here. You know, the, the listeners of this podcast, I think, are a, a cut above the folks who refuse to listen to a podcast of this nature. You know, people who don't want to think, they just want to check their brain at the door and not really engage in anything thought-provoking. You know, those folks are never going to listen to this podcast, and that's that's fine, I guess, on the one hand. I wish they would, because maybe it would kind of spur them to start thinking. And uh, if you know somebody who's who's like that, you know, if you know somebody who's just not really engaged, you might share this podcast with them and see if we can get those wheels moving. I'm certainly glad that you folks are here. Uh, speaking of that, Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, in a couple of days as of the date that I'm recording this podcast. And, you know, what what are we all like to talk about what we're thankful for. I tell you, I'm thankful for the audience of this podcast. I'm thankful for you folks. I'm glad you're out there. And again, like I say, like I always say on behalf of the Founding Fathers, I'm sure they would say the same thing. I'm sure they would be glad that you're out here participating in this podcast as well. Uh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm overstepping myself to say that. Because they clearly wanted us, like I read a letter from John Jay a number of episodes. He wanted us to listen to this stuff. He wanted us to read these letters, and that's what we're doing. We're doing what John Jay wanted us to do. Founding father, John Jay. And he wasn't the only one. I, I know John Adams wanted us to read this. I can tell by his writings he wanted us to he wanted us to read this stuff too. I try to make that as easy for you folks as I can by just uh, pulling the information and narrating it for you in an audio format so you can listen to it in the car wherever you want. Uh, it's real easy. And, you know, in return for that, you guys share the podcast. You get the word out there about the podcast. And I'm grateful for that. I really, I really do appreciate you folks. I don't take it for granted. Some podcasters do. I don't. I know that the uh, the audience of this podcast is a special group of folks, and I really thank you. Uh, with that said, we're going to get right back into the ep the letters from John Adams today. Uh, I'm going to finish up that, that letter that I wanted to do on the last episode we didn't have time for. Uh, we're going to get into that, and I, I hope you really enjoy this. It's going to be a good letter. I really like this letter for any number of reasons, and I'll, you'll, you'll figure that out by the end of it, I hope, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Let's have a good discussion about this one, and let's get into that right now. All right, we are going to John Adams. John Adams is our guest on the podcast today, as I like to say. And we're going back to July 1774. Last set of letters that we read from John Adams were from the 5th of July 1774. This is just from the following day. John Adams wrote quite a bit, quite a bit. And the other, we're going to read, be reading two letters today, if I can get to the second one. second one's very short, so I don't imagine that'll be a problem. It's also from the 6th of July 1774. So this letter is written from John Adams to Abigail Adams, and it is the 6th of July, 1774, and it is going to be talking again about Boston, how what John Adams felt about what was going on in Boston and Massachusetts at the time. And this is a very good perspective to have, because he was right there in the thick of it. Remember again, with the Intolerable Acts, Boston was at the center of it all. It was like the uh, the focal point of everything that was happening with the Intolerable Blacks. Everything, all of the anger of the king and the parliament seemed to be directed towards the port of Boston. And guess what? That's where John Adams just happened to be uh, located for the most part. So let's get into this one. I quote, Shall we submit to parliamentary taxation to avoid mobs? Will not parliamentary taxation, if established, occasion vices, crimes, and follies infinitely more numerous, dangerous, and fatal to the community? Will not parliamentary taxation, if established, raise a revenue unjustly and wrongfully? If this revenue is scattered by the hand of corruption among the public officers and magistrates and rulers in the community, will it not propagate vices more numerous, more malignant, and pestilential among them? Will it not render magistrates servile and fawning to their vicious superiors, and insolent and tyrannical to their inferiors? Is insolence, abuse, and imprudence more tolerable in a magistrate than in a subject? Is it not more constantly and extensively pernicious? 
And does not the example of vice and folly and magistrates descend and spread downward among the people? End quote. Keep in mind again, this is very much a continuation of the previous letter. I mean, keep in mind, this guy wrote two letters in two days uh, on the same subject. Very lengthy, both of them, for the most part. Both of them written to his wife, complaining about the sins and corruption and all the rest of it, of what was going on in Boston at the time and how it might get worse with this revenue that the uh, Parliament and the King of England were trying to levy against the people of Boston, Massachusetts, and the rest of the colonies. He clearly views this as being a very, very serious problem. And beginning, beginning with this section, quote, Shall we submit to parliamentary taxation, end quote. In this parliamentary taxation he speaks of, he describes a scenario where people are corrupted by money. And it's public money, no less. This is basically taxation money that is then spread propagating some kind of uh, corruption, that is to say, spreading corruption. Quote, If this revenue is scattered by the hand of corruption among the public officers and magistrates and rulers in the community, will it not propagate vices more numerous? End quote. So he's worried about this money corrupting people. So it's the process of taking money from a great many people and giving it to a few at the top and letting them basically live on the uh, largesse of the public funds, that is to say, the, uh, the, the generosity of the public funds. And he mentions the word insolence in here a few times. If you don't know what that means, that basically just means uh, a kind of disrespect. And he seems to think that this is a problem, taking revenue from the, the, the whole of the, the people of Massachusetts and giving it to these few people up at the top. So this is, this is a lesson from John Adams. I think to myself, somebody could read over this paragraph and just go, oh, okay, well, yeah, corruption and government, blah, 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 and then just kind of skip on to the next paragraph, move on to the next letter, and, and think, well, yeah, yeah, of course, corruption, you don't want that. But John Adams was concerned about it. Ho-hum, nothing to see here. There's something deeper he's talking about here. This government money, that is to say the, the, the people's money, the tax revenue, it's very common for this kind of money to be used for corruption. It's usually used in a couple of different ways. The, the way that he describes here which would be taking it from the, the, the revenue treasury and, dis and handing it out to these people up at the top, these few people up at the top, magistrates and so on and so forth, that he, uh, that he references. Again, quote, public officers, magistrates, and rulers in the community, end quote. Basically paying these people off in such a way that they, they're loyal to the king by way of money corruption. But there's another kind of corruption he, he talks, he actually touches on here a little bit, but he doesn't quite expand into it. Uh, he doesn't talk about the, the, the exact principle here. If it's possible to have this kind of corruption, where you take the money from the treasury and give it to these few people up at the top, is it also possible for corruption to exist where you take money out of the treasury and you give it to the people themselves? What happens when you take money out of the treasury and you give it to many people? at the bottom or in the middle, as opposed to just a little bit of uh, a lot of money to the, the people up at the top. Is that also corruption? Does that also, quote, propagate vices more numerous, more malignant, and pestilential among them, end quote? I would argue that it probably does. I would, ar I would argue that the bribing of people from the public treasury, either the people at the top or a great many of the people of the body of the population, is corruption no matter which way you swing it. Why do you think the government does things like that? Why do you think the central power, the dictator, would do something like that? Why do you think they would take in a bunch of money from, from the people and then selectively distribute it out? What are they trying to accomplish there? What do you think? It's always bribery. Well, let, me, let me just put it plainly. And that's what John Adams is telling you here. And he almost gets to this, this uh, the subject of the, the whole body of the population being corrupted. And it's right here at the very end of what he was saying. Quote, will it not render magistrates servile and fawning to their vicious superiors, and insolent and tyrannical to their inferiors? Is insolence, abuse, and impudence more tolerable in a magistrate than a subject? Is it not more constantly and extensively pernicious? And does not the example of vice and folly in magistrates descend and spread downward among the people? End quote. See, he's concerned about the uh, the money spreading, the, the, this vice and corruption spreading downward amongst the people, which of course it does. When people see great corruption in their uh, in the people who are supposed to preside over the government, cities, towns, counties, states, colonies, federal government, provinces, when they see that, they tend to act more corrupt themselves. And certainly, when 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 the body of the people, that is, the a great number of the people, get bribed the same way these magistrates do, then the the, the corruption, the vice, and the abuse 
runs even more rampant. So that this uh, this concept of um, the money of the government corrupting the people is something that you want to take very seriously. And my, my advice to you and the Founding Fathers' advice to you, I believe, based on what John Adams is writing here, I firmly believe this. Do not support any of this. Do not support the bribing of magistrates, officers, and officials with the public money. And do not support the bribing of the whole of the population with the public money. That's not what it's supposed to be used for. This kind of revenue is not supposed to be used for that kind of thing. There's going to be more talk of that at some point, but that's this is really the beginning of that kind of conversation. And keep in mind again what George Washington said. This is a quote from Washington's letter to Fairfax on July the 20th, 1774. We already read this one in a previous episode. I want to read it to you again. This kind of falls in line with this. Quote, I should even think it criminal to go further than this under such an idea, but none such I have. I think the Parliament of Great Britain hath no more right to put their hands into my pocket without my consent than I have to put my hands into yours for money. End quote. Clearly, Washington and Adams both feel that this concept of putting your hand into somebody else's pocket for money is a problem, leading to all manner of corruptions. Resist the temptation to do this. The, you know, the central power, the dictators and the tyrants of the world, and th this message goes out to not just the folks in the United States, but everybody in the world, because every government tries to do this at some point. They try to bribe people through corruption. Every single government in the history of the world has tried this. And how do I know that? I haven't looked at every single government in the history of the world, but I can tell you this. There's something about governments and money and corruption. You really can't have a government and money without corruption. You can't. It's like, it's like trying to have a spark and gasoline without a fire. Good luck with that, because that's what we're talking about here. So if you think your government, oh, my government is immune to this, it'll never be corrupt. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Have you have you have you read a history book? Have you have you read a uh, have you read very many news articles in the last couple years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, however long? You don't have to go back very far to find examples of this stuff. But you know, folks all over the world who listen to this podcast, I'm telling you, this is a very serious problem, and there's always a temptation to participate in it because you know. It used to be a time when a king, a lord, a vassal could bribe, you know, the head officials, the magistrates, the uh, even the people within the church, the Catholic church at one point in time uh, when it was uh, running the show in Europe. Uh, you could just bribe a few officials and you could call it a day. These days, well, they've democratized the whole corruption process, and this corruption now kind of flows out towards the people rather than just up at the top with the magistrates, although it's there too in, in many cases. Uh, there's a great, great problem in this world with corruption in governments, so keep an eye on it. It's something you always want to keep a watchful eye over, and don't don't participate in it. You know, John Adams here is telling you don't don't do that. And George Washington too. Don't go don't go try putting your hands into somebody else's pocket for money. Don't don't do that. And when you're trying to take money out of the public trust, by the way, that that's what you're doing. You're, you're taking money out of somebody else's pocket because that money came from somebody's pocket and it wasn't the central power. It wasn't the government. They don't have any money. Only the people have money. Keep that in mind. Always the people's money. Continuing on with Mr. Adams. Quote, we very seldom hear any solid reasoning. I wish I all I wish always to discuss the question without all painting, pathos, rhetoric, or flourish of every kind. And the question seems to me to be whether the American colonies are to be considered a distant community so far as to have a right to judge for themselves when the fundamentals of their government are destroyed or invaded, or whether they are to be considered as a part of the whole British Empire, the whole English nation, so far as to be bound in honor, conscience, or interest by the general sense of the whole nation. End quote. So he, what, what is he saying here? It's, 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 it's worded in a complicated kind of way. He, he didn't word this very well, not in a modern context anyway. I had to, I had to, you know, I had to read this thing a couple of times to really understand what he was saying. But what he's saying here is that are the colonies distinct amongst themselves to be able to make their own decisions about their government? That is to say, their local assemblies, their representative assemblies, their judiciary, etc. Or are they so bound up with the whole of the nation, that is to say, the whole British Empire, as to have to accept the determination of the British Empire as it pertains to those things? In other words, do they have to accept when the parliament and the king say, this is what your government is, and this is what it's not, and this is what it should be, and this is what your local assemblies should and shouldn't be? Do they have to accept that? 
or should they accept their own will and determination as it pertains to that? And it speaks to the colonies of their right to set their own policies of governance. Taxation, of course, being one of these things. Taxation without representation. We've talked about this. And this is an interesting debate. And again, somebody could read over this and go, oh yeah, colonies, Great Britain, are the colonies really kind of separate and on their own? I mean, under the British Empire, but do they have the right to, you know, kind of some, some form of self-government right there because that's where their assemblies are? Or do they just have to accept the dictates of the British Empire? Okay, moving on. Ugh, we're not done. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let this again. This is the thinking person's podcast. Let me take this a little bit further with you. What's a what's a contemporary argument to this particular thing that was happening back in 1774? That is to say, what today resembles what the founding fathers were talking about? Because what we're trying to do here, what's what's one of the purposes of this podcast? We're not just we're not just reading the letters and then moving on with our lives and calling it a day. We're thinking about what the founding fathers were telling us. That we're th- I always tell you when I feel like the founding fathers are warning us about something, I try to tell you. And when I feel like the Founding Fathers are giving us advice that's applicable in the modern day, I, I tell you. Because, you know, the it's not just history here that we're talking about. We're talking about today. Because everything that happened in the past influences what we where we are today. I did a great podcast on this on the Patreon side of things. If you really want to check that, I highly recommend it. It's episode number two on the Patreon podcast. Highly recommend it. And it's a, it's a, it's a long discussion that I have about history and its implications on us and why it's so important, why we study it, and why a lot of people, frankly speaking, do not study it. Uh, I've mentioned it a few times on this uh, on this particular podcast as well, that concept, but I don't go into it in near the length that I went into it on the Patreon side. So we're supposed to learn from the past and learn from the Founding Fathers. We're supposed to apply this today. Okay, so what what's the contemporary argument here? What, what goes on today? that mirrors what was happening in the colonies. I would say it's this concept of the states and the federal government. So let me read this let me read this to you again. I'm going to quote it to you and when you when you hear the word colonies think states. And when you think the British em- when you hear the words British Empire or the English nation think federal government. Just replace those words in your head as I'm as I'm doing this and it'll start making more sense to you. Quote The question seems to me to be whether the American colonies are to be considered a distant community so far as have a right as so far as to have a right to judge for themselves when the fundamentals of their government are destroyed or invaded or whether they are to be considered as a part of the whole British Empire, the whole English nation, so far as to be bound in honor, conscience or interest by the general sense of the whole nation, end quote. Now I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to replace the words myself so you can hear this. It's, it'll take a little it'll take a little less energy on your part for, for you to hear it from me. So let me let me read this back to you, and I'm going to replace the words. So I'm not going to be quoting directly from the I, I can't say quote unless I'm reading exactly what's off the page, so I'm not going to say quote. I'm just going to read it to you, and then I'm just going to replace words as I go. The question seems to me to be whether the American states are to be considered as a distinct community so far as to have a right to judge for themselves when the fundamentals of their government are destroyed or invaded, or whether they are to be considered as a part of the whole American nation so far as to be bound in honor, conscience, interest by the general sense of the United States. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting question, isn't it? So for example, Ohio. I'm just going to pick a state at random. I don't live in Ohio, by the way. I've been there. Does Is Ohio a, quote, distinct community so far as to have a right to judge for themselves when the fundamentals of their government are destroyed or invaded, end quote? And again, me replacing the words in the continuation of this statement, or whether they are to be considered as a part of the whole American nation, so far as to be bound in honor, conscience, or interest by the general sense of the United States. What do you think? What do you think about that? Do you think Ohio or Florida or Georgia or Alaska is a, quote, distinct community so far as to have a right to judge for themselves when the fundamentals of their government are destroyed or invaded, end quote. You know, this is a big question, and we're going to talk more about this in, in obviously, the months to come. This is not, um, this is not a, a simple question to answer. I just want you to think about it, because, again, this is the Thinking Persons podcast, as I've mentioned a number of times before, and there's reasons for that. Sometimes people uh, listen to these podcasts and they think they, they wonder why it is I pause on some of these thoughts and I really labor over them and I talk about it. 
because it's important. There's a lesson to be learned here, and there's something to think about. Uh, I feel at times, you know, it's it's very much, you know, I, when I was in school, when I was uh, in college and the university, for example, you know, the best professors that I had would stop and labor over something if they really felt there was a lesson to be learned here. It wasn't just about skimming over the information and getting through the lesson plan as quickly as possible and sticking to the syllabus and blah, 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 blah. No, every once in a while, there, there comes a moment when you really have to pause and be like, what in the world does this mean? And how does this apply to your life? As you go out into the world, as you engage with society, how does this apply to your life? Tell me what you think. This is not a simple, this is not a simple thing right here what John Adams is talking about. And when I when I flip the words around and I add states instead of colonies in the United States instead of the British Empire, this is a conversation that everybody should have at some point with themselves, with their friends and their family. If you haven't had this conversation with your children yet, if you have kids, this is a fantastic thought question for your kids. You want to get your kids thinking about this kind of stuff? Throw this at them. Have them listen to this podcast with you. And then, you know, when we get to this point in the podcast, just pause it and, and then just pause the podcast and say, what do you think about that? You know, this guy Roman on the podcast, what do you think about what he's asking here? Because this is a very important question. There are, there are Supreme Court cases that, that circle around this thought. The Constitution of the United States revolves around this concept. It's part of the building blocks of the United States. This concept right here in this paragraph don't let this one go. In other words, in this this particular some some of the episodes of this podcast, there aren't really huge concepts in them. There's just there's just background and commentary. This one's this one is big. So after you get done listening to this podcast, I strongly suggest you take some time to think about this. Strongly suggest it. You will be doing yourself, your family, your neighbors, and your country a service by thinking about this topic. So could this be a problem that we face today? This very same thing. You know, it's it's basically these state con the states have constitutions by the way. Everybody everybody kind of knows that. Well, most people know that anyway, I would suspect. And then you have the federal constitution and you know, these things, you know, meet at some point. And you know, there's always these debates about what takes precedent over the other, but you know, there there is a line between where the federal government can reach, where that federal constitution can reach and where the where it can't. And the state constitution takes over. And there's a big debate about where that line is, the state versus the general government. And I strongly recommend also that you start calling it the general government instead of the federal government. Every once in a while, I slip up and I call it the federal government. I genuinely don't like to. I like to call it the general government. You know why? Because that's what the founding fathers called it. And if you really want to be able to read these documents and understand what they're talking about, like when the, when the Constitution says, and this is not in the Constitution, by the way, it's part of the preamble to the Constitution. If it doesn't fall into an article, a clause a section, or an amendment to the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. And there's a there's a preamble to the Constitution that, that mentions the, quote, general welfare, end quote. What does that mean, general wel welfare? What, what in the world does that mean? It's, it's easier to understand it if you understand what they mean when they say general government. It becomes a little bit easier to understand. Outside of that, in a modern context, you start to not, not understand very well what they mean by general welfare, and you can get very confused about that. But let me um, let me read to you a section from the uh, the the Declaration of Independence. We read this before. I didn't dwell too much on it, um, but but it ties in with this concept. Quote: These United Colonies are, and of a right ought to be, free and independent states. End quote. So these United Colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. Plural. Not a free and independent state singular, but free and independent states. Plural. Why is that important? And what does the word independent really mean? Well, it ties in exactly with what what John Adams was talking about back here in 1774, right? Does that make sense? You see where I'm going with that? So is Ohio, to use our example from previous, is it a free and independent state or is it not? Are Florida, Alaska, Georgia free and independent states or are they not? And if they are, to what extent? And if they're not, why not? Because the Declaration of Independence says that they should be. And how do you know whether they are or they aren't? How in the world do you even know? Well, you got to you really got to examine a lot of things that are going on. Things are complicated. This is not uh, not so simple a question to answer. And we all have our thoughts on this, those of us who've thought about it for a very long time. I've been thinking about that line in the Declaration of Independence for years, a lot of years. 
These united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. I think that's probably, in, in my humble opinion, there's a lot of lines in the Declaration of Independence that are very important. I kind of alternate back and forth between which is the most important. The, the one that says that, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or this line right here about free and independent states. I don't know which is more important. And honestly, I think they're both of equal weight. If I were to put them on a scale, they would probably balance out importance. Everything else is just a second place finisher, in my opinion. Because they, both of those lines pertain to freedom and liberty, an individual's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and these states' rights to be free and independent, like the Declaration of Independent States, free and independent states. So in my opinion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a conclusion here to you on this now that you've had some time to think about it. Do I believe that the 50 states and originally the 13 United Colonies, do I believe that they have a right fundamentally to be free and independent states? Yes, I do. I believe that they should be free and independent states. I believe that they have a separate and distinct identity from that of the general government or the United States of America. I really believe that. And John Adams believed it too. You might have heard that um, once upon a time, people refer to the United States in terms of uh, the multitude, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like, for example, when somebody would reference the United States, they would say the United States are instead of the United States is and today we don't do that. We say the United States is instead of the United States are. And I would argue that we do it wrong today. We should, stay, we should say that the United States are, because that's the way that John Adams wrote about it. I've seen it in his writings. I, 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 I am being very, very clear about that. This is not me making this up. John Adams wrote it that way, and if John Adams wrote it that way, I like to think he, he, he knows what he's talking about and he does it for a reason. He was, he was only the second president of the United States. And one of the most influential founding fathers in the Continental Congress, and his cousin was only the father of the American Revolution. So something tells me John Adams knows what he's talking about. I'm going. I'm not really going out on a limb when I say that. And anybody who disagrees with that can try to demonstrate that John Adams was a bumbling buffoon who didn't know what he was talking about. Good luck with that. But I firmly believe that the United States, all 50 of them, or however many of them there are at any given time, should be free and independent states. Otherwise... We risk having this same argument that John Adams was having back in 1774, things like taxation without representation and so on and so forth. Even though you may have a general, even though you may have a general Congress uh, at the federal level, I mean, what, how, how far away from the people of Ohio is that? Several hundred miles, I don't know exactly how far Ohio is from Washington, D.C., several hundred miles, thousand miles, whatever it is, um, many thousands of miles away from the state of Alaska, I can tell you that much right now. I've been to Alaska before. I lived in Alaska for a time, and the federal government is about as far away from Alaska as you can get from any particular state in the Union except Hawaii. Now, who the heck, who the heck do you think knows best how to run Alaska, the people of Alaska or the people of Washington, D.C.? My best guess would be the people of Alaska. They know best how to run Alaska. And to the extent it doesn't trample on the Bill of Rights or any of the other fundamental rights in the Constitution of the United States, Alaska should just be left to its own devices to run itself as a free and independent state. That's what I believe. Now, you may disagree with me. Reasonable people can agree to disagree. And if you disagree with me, I want to know about it. I love constructive criticism. I absolutely love it. So leave a review on the podcast and tell me you disagree with me on this concept of free and independent states. Or, if you like, go over to the Patreon side of the podcast, uh, subscribe over there if you like. It's not very expensive. It's $3 a month. Leave a comment, a question, whatever over there if you don't want to leave a review here. Or if you can't, if you're on a platform that doesn't allow you to review, whatever, what have you. That's why I like to make the Patreon side available. Just in case, you know, you can't leave a review or you've already left a review, can't leave another one, whatever the case may be. Anyway, so I want to know, do you, dis do you agree or do you disagree? And if you disagree, why? Why do you think that a free and independent state is a dangerous concept and it shouldn't be recognized by the United States? I want to know why. And I want to know where John Adams was going wrong here. And I want to know where I want to know why you think the Declaration of Independence was wrong. Either that or how I am misinterpreting the Declaration of Independence. Because I've got I've got two sources here, both John Adams and the Declaration of Independence, both written a couple of years apart, the 1774 letter versus the 1776 Declaration of Independence, and they both agree with one another on this topic. So let's continue. We 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 pretty much you know uh, beat that topic to death. But there was a reason for that. There's a reason why I spend so much time on that one. It's because this is important. This has to do with how every single aspect of every single state runs its business and how the general government runs its business. So that's pretty important. Uh, it's important that we spend a little bit of time on that. So that's why I did that. And I hope you can appreciate why I did that. Uh, let's continue on. Quote. However. 
If this was the rule, I believe it is very far from the general sense of the whole nation that America should be taxed by the British Parliament. If the sense of the the empire could be fairly and truly collected, it would appear, I believe, that a great majority would be against taxing us, and against or without our consent. It is very certain that the sense of the Parliament is not the sense of the empire, nor a sure indication of it." So why is the sense of the Parliament, as he writes about here, why is it not the sense of the empire? I would argue that it's because the Parliament is so far from the rest of the empire, from much of the empire. It's really only close to a small part of the empire. I mean, think about the British Empire. And at this time, the British Empire wasn't anywhere near as big as it was going to get. It was going to get much bigger than this. I mean, at one point in time, I and again, I have a map of the British Empire from the height of the British Empire, and it hangs on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. It's behind me. And the British Empire, at its at its peak, was absolutely massive. And it was all run by this tiny little island to the north of Europe. I think that's what John Adams is talking about. And, it is, and I would argue, again, is that any different than what we experience today? I mean, Washington, D.C. is... And again, I'm speaking from the uh, United States perspective here. Those folks of you who listen to this podcast from Europe or elsewhere, you're going to have a little bit of a different situation. Of course, in the European Union, you have, you know, is your is your country run out of uh, Warsaw or is it run out of Brussels? You know, which one is closest to the people? Which one is, which one, where should your government be run out of? You know, who's, who's better at making decisions on this issue? The British people recently, uh, recently made a decision about that themselves. I won't get too much into that. Somebody might construe that as a partisan argument, but there is, um, the British Empire certainly has, or the Brit, or I guess the United Kingdom these days, not so much the British Empire, but has decided, um, to take matters into their own hands, so to speak. Everybody has to make that decision at some point. So, in the, from the United States perspective, is the United, is, was Washington, D.C. closer to these issues? Does it have, so, like when John Adams says here, you know, quote, the sense of the par- the sense of parliament, end quote, not being the, quote, sense of the empire, end quote. So is it, is it is it possible that one could say that the sense of Congress in the United States is not the sense of the of the the greater the greater the whole of the nation, the whole of the United States? I think that would probably be accurate. The the Washington, D.C., you know, for whatever it is, I mean, it's 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 good at running some things and not not so good at running others from a local perspective. Local people might think they have better ideas as to how to run their local community, especially at the at the very local level, like towns and cities and counties. I think uh, I think the people who live in those towns and cities and counties would probably argue that they have a better sense of how to run their lives than than some people in Washington, D.C. So, again, and the reason why I mention this again is because if you think that these concepts that were dealt with at the founding of the country are are passé. They're, they're they're no longer an issue. They were settled in 1776 when the war was fought. They were they were settled again, you know, shortly after 1787 when the Constitution was enacted and all the rest of it. These things are settled. We don't need to worry about any of this, really. I don't know about that because uh, you know, like I said, you know, Alaska is a very distant land to the the rest of the United States. And it's very far away from Washington, D.C. I mean, if somebody in Alaska is listening to this podcast, I honestly, I don't know if anybody is. I see the uh, location data, and I don't think I've seen Alaska on the list uh, of states that are listening to this podcast as of yet. A great many other states are, but for some reason, Alaska is like one of the last holdouts. I'm not sure exactly why that's the case, but it seems to be the case. I've even got, you know, there's even other country, people in other countries listening to this podcast, but for some reason, Alaska is holding out. Somebody's got to, somebody in the audience has to find somebody in Alaska and uh, send them this podcast and get Alaska on the on the board so that uh, we can get somebody up in Alaska listening to this. But, you know, I think they might be, I think they, I think people in Alaska would say, you know, we know how, we know, we know Alaska, we know our, we know our local area, you know, as long as we're not violating the First Amendment with, with the laws, as long as we're not violating the Eighth Amendment with our laws, just leave us alone. You know, leave us to run Alaska. Now, I think that's what John Adams is writing about here. I think he's what he's saying is that Parliament has no sense of the greater empire. And the people in Boston just want to run Boston. And the people in Massachusetts, they want to have their general assembly and they want to run Massachusetts. They don't they don't really need the Parliament interfering too much in that. Now, as far as issues that pertain to the whole of the empire, sure. You know, Parliament has some some say over that, but you know, when you're talking about the local taxes and when you're talking about the local courts and things like that, just let the people of Massachusetts handle it. That's what John Adams is talking about. He doesn't feel like Parliament has a sense of what's really going on in Massachusetts. And he's probably right about that, just like uh, it's probably very likely that the people in Washington, D.C. have absolutely no sense what's going on in Alaska. 
I don't think I don't think it's controversial for me to say that, and it's uh, c- certainly not uh, a partisan argument to be had. It's just the reality of the situation. When you're far away from a place, very hard for you to have a firm understanding of what's really going on in that place. And believe me, I've been all over this country. I have been from coast to coast, border to border, and I've been to Alaska. And I can tell you that life in Alaska is a far cry from life in Texas. I've been to Texas many times. Very different place. And the people in Texas, unless they've been to Alaska, frankly speaking, haven't the first clue what life in Alaska is really like. And I don't think the people in Alaska would appreciate the people in Texas telling them how to run their life up there. And vice versa. For good reason. Which is why we have free and independent states as articulated in the Declaration of Independence, and why we have state constitutions, and so on and so forth. Does that make sense, everybody? I think it does. And again, if anybody disagrees with me, I would love to hear from you. Believe me, I would. I'm not I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. I would really like to hear some arguments against that. And I have before, by the way. It's not like I've never heard an argument against that theory. Uh, it's not so much a theory as it is the, the will of the Founding Fathers, but uh, I have heard arguments against that. Frankly speaking, none of them have ever made any sense to me whatsoever. So let's continue with John. Let's see what John Adams has to say, even if the whole of the empire agreed that they should be taxes, because he just said that he believes that if the whole of the empire were, were, were pulled on this issue, they would say you shouldn't be taxing Massachusetts. That's what he just said in the preceding paragraph. Now let's see what he has to say if the whole of the empire actually agreed that the, the colony of Massachusetts should be taxed by parliament. Quote, But if all other parts of the empire were agreed unanimously in the propriety and rectitude of taxing us. This would not bind us. It is a fundamental, inherent, and unalienable right of the people that they have some check, influence, or control in their supreme legislature. If the right of taxation is conceded to Parliament, the Americans have no check or influence at all left. This reasoning was never, nor can be, answered. End quote. So he's saying this is the truth. This is factual. You can't deny this. You cannot deny this. That's what John Adams is saying. Quote, It is a fundamental, inherent, and unalienable right of the people that they have some check, influence, or control in their supreme legislature. If the right of taxation is conceded to Parliament, the Americans have no check or influence at all left. End quote. So again, we get back to that. Remember tax or my, my two episodes on taxation without representation, spanning from the Magna Carta all the way up to the Declaration of Independence and all that. We were always talking about what I called the buffer between the dictates of the central power and the people. There has to be some kind of a control, a check there. There has to be. And that's what he's talking about here. They have to have their local assemblies. The people have to have their local assemblies. They have to. Without that, they, there's no check. There's no check at all on any of this. You can't have the central power just haul off and do whatever they darn well please. You can't have the, the central parliament or the general government just haul off and do whatever they darn well please. You can't do it. That's what John Adams is saying here. And the reason why, again, John Adams and so many others had a problem with, with that, with things not being handled locally in Massachusetts for the people of Massachusetts, was because of this, this persistent problem that governments have. Governments have a persistent problem of going tyrannical. And the central power always has this tendency to get power-hungry, drunk with power, as I've said. You know, that, that, that concept I have where it would be great if we could walk up to the central power and just tell them, hey, guess what? You guys are drunk on power. Please, you're, go, you're going to rehab. We're sending you to rehab because you're drunk on power. The problem is you can't do that because these people, they're, they're not going to go to rehab. And unfortunately, there's not, a, there's not a rehab for people who are drunk on power. There probably should be. But you could never get anybody to go anyway, so what's the point? It's not like the uh, the king of England or a prime minister or a dictator or a tyrant or anybody is ever going to say, oh yeah, I'm drunk on power, I'm going to rehab, um, I've, I've overstretched my authority, I'll be gone for six months in rehab and I'll be back, this, that, and the other thing. It's just never going to happen, unfortunately. In an ideal world, that's precisely what would happen. And I, I like my idea of sending these people to rehab, but unfortunately it just doesn't work out that way. So the only thing you can do is have these checks in place to try to control that uh, that tendency for them to get drunk on power, which happens all the time. You know, try and fi- find me uh, somebody who's been a politician for any length of time, and I'll show you somebody who at some point or another probably got drunk on power. There's some exceptions to the rule, don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, these people these people have this this drive to want to do that. It's just, it's just a natural tendency. Uh, some of them recognize it, and they try to keep themselves under control, but uh, a great many of them don't, unfortunately. It's a sad, sad commentary on society, and that's the case all over the world. So that's why you're so important. The uh, the citizens and subjects of the world who keep an eye on your, your government, who go out and vote and do these things, it's very important that you keep an eye on these things, because you're the ultimate check 
In the United States, uh, and I'm sure, you know, for you folks elsewhere in the world, you may have similar systems. I know some countries do, but in the United States, we have this concept of checks and balances, the three branches of government, and we even have a check and balance in one branch of government. So, for example, we have the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. But even the even the legislative is broken up into two separate houses. We have the House of Representatives and we have the Senate. Why do you have two? Why do you have two parts of a legislature? Why not just have one? Well, the answer to that question is, is this goes back to ancient times. The reason why you have that, and the Founding Fathers created that kind of stuff in the colonies back in the day, because even a legislature can go tyrannical. Yep, I said it. Even a parliament or a congress can go tyrannical, and you have to have some check inside of there to try to control for that, and that's why you have a house and a senate instead of just a house. Last I checked, there's 535 people in the House and the Senate. There's 435 in the House and 100 in the Senate. Why not just put all 535 in the House and call it a day? Well, because there has to be some kind of a check. But the checks and balances do not end with the legislative, executive, and judicial. You are the, the final check. That's you. You, your friends, your neighbors, your family, eventually your children, are, are the check on the system. And to be a proper check on the system, you have to know what you're dealing with, and you have to be educated in how to be a good check on the system. And that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists. Uh, I'm here to try to convey this information to you so that John Adams can tell you how to be a good check. I can't tell you how to be a good check on the system. I really can't. I can give you. I can provide some modern context around what John Adams was talking about, but it's really going to be John Adams that's going to tell you how to be a good check on the system. And it's going to be George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and these folks to teach you how to do these things. I am just the messenger. And again, I try to put some modern context around it in a way that they couldn't, because I have the benefit of 250 years of hindsight that John Adams didn't have. But every time I speak to you on these issues, understand I'm trying to keep it within the context of what they were talking about, with that 250 years of hindsight. And I hope that's uh, I hope that's educational to you, and I hope that's a benefit to your uh, learning and wisdom on this particular issue. I, I certainly do. Uh, it's my it's my ever present goal uh, on this podcast to to convey that information in such a way as it um, informs uh, how you go about handling these various issues in society. So I want to. We may go a little long in this podcast, but I want to read this last uh, portions from this last letter. Uh, it's very short, very brief. So just bear with me here. And I'm gonna. It's it basically. It's a. It's just a. Another letter from John Adams to Abigail Adams, also written on the 6th of July of 1774. Boy, this guy was writing a lot that day. So this is a letter from John Adams to Abigail Adams, 6th July, 1774. I'm going to bounce around in this letter a little bit. This first section is a little bit further down than the next section I'm going to read, but I'll start there. Quote, I must prepare for a journey to Philadelphia, a long journey indeed, but if the length of the journey was all... It would be no burden, but the consideration of what is to be done is so is of is of great weight. Great things are wanted to be done, and little things only, I fear, can be done. I dread the thought of the Congress falling short of the expectations of the continent, but especially of the people of this province. End quote. And when he says this province, he means the people of Massachusetts. So this is and this is important because this is John Adams. I, I I really am amazed by some of these letters. I try to put myself in that mindset. This guy, he's going to Philadelphia, which means he's going to Congress, right? And this is July 1774. This man has no idea what's coming. I mean, maybe he has an idea, but he doesn't understand. I don't think he fully understands at this time the scale of what's coming down the road. In two years' time, this man is going to be embroiled in the largest war in North American history, up to that point. Obviously, after that, there were bigger wars to be had, namely the Civil War of the United States. And he's just at the beginning of this journey that the United States is taking towards independence from the British Empire. And he's focused here on doing doing the work, but he's, he's concerned that not enough work is going to be done, and not enough is going to be done, perhaps, to protect the rights of the people of Massachusetts. And that's a that's a very common problem with legislatures and parliaments and congresses and all the rest of it. Oftentimes, they get tied up in their own ego and their own personal issues, whether it—sometimes it, it's corruption, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just their own personal lives. And there's a story that I'm going to tell, probably on the Patreon side of things. I don't want to do it here because it's, I'm going to have to name names to be able to tell this story. And— I'm going to make a note to tell the story. It's a good story to tell, you know, and not a lot of people pay attention to this except for me because I'm just that kind of guy. But uh, it's it has to do with something I observed in the United States. And for those of you outside the United States, I think that story would also be of benefit to you to hear as well. I really do. 
even though it's very United States-centric. It's something I saw a couple of years ago that I can't quite get out of my head, and it plays... It, it, it really does add to the weight of some of these things that I'm talking about here. But again, because it, I have to mention names, I will not talk about it on this podcast, because this is a this is an educational podcast. I don't ever want anybody to think I'm, I'm being partisan here. Uh, and honestly, it's not really partisan for me to talk about it, generally speaking. I just I don't like to name names on this podcast. I, it's a line I don't want to cross. On the Patreon podcast, I, I let myself run a little bit more free, although I try to keep that one a little bit guarded as well when it comes to partisan issues. I try not to go there with that one either, but I'll, I'll tell it on the Patreon side of things. I think uh, if So if you want to check that, I don't know when I'll put that up. I'm working on my December 7th podcast right now for that particular side of things, And um, but if you uh, if you want to get subscribed over there, you'll see it eventually, most likely. I'll, I'll, like I said, I, I made a note about it, so a lot of good stories happening over there on the Patreon side if you want to check that. I've mentioned it quite a bit in this episode of the podcast for that reason. I think I've got some really good work coming on that side. That would uh, really uh, really benefit a lot of folks who uh, want to learn about this kind of stuff. Let me read one last section of this letter, this same letter from John Adams, so that we I could tell you a little bit about who John Adams was and why I think he was so valuable and why he was so different than what we had today. I mentioned earlier in this podcast that if this country has a very hard time producing people of the quality of of a Samuel Adams or a John Adams. It really has a hard time doing that, especially in its political, quote-unquote, class of people, if you want to call them that. I hate to call them this. This is not a class system that we have in society, but people who tend to gravitate towards politics. So let me read you this section here. Quote, I believe it is time to think a little about my family and farm. The fine weather we have had for eight or ten days past, I hope, has been carefully improved to get in my hay. It is a great mortification to me that I could not attend every step of their progress in mowing, making, and carting. I long to see what burden, end quote. He's talking about working on his farm. Why is this important? Because it's very easy to read over this section of the letter, and, and this kind of goes to show you that I, I do read these letters all the way through. I, I, there's, there's whole swaths of these letters I do not read to you. There's a whole bunch to this letter I will never read on this podcast. As a matter of fact, probably 60% of this letter will never get read on this podcast. But I picked this section. Why? Why Why is it important that he's focused on his family and farm and talking about the weather and getting his hay uh, for, his, uh, for his fields and all manners of mowing, making, and carting the hay around? Why is he talking about that? Why is it so important? He's talking about it because it's important to him. I think this man really enjoyed working on his farm. Kind of like Washington that way. You know, when, when Washington left the generalship of, of the military, his commander-in-chief position in the military, the man just went back to his farm. I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but I think it was King George III who actually commented that if George Washington just leaves the commander-in-chief position and does not become king or ruler in some particular kind of way, just returns to his farm, that he'll be one of the greatest men to have ever lived. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that was King George III. I may be wrong about that, but I think that's accurate. I always want to make sure and preface my remarks uh, about accuracy if I'm if I'm not certain about it. But it, it but I certainly believe it's true. He just went back to his farm, you know. And, and John Adams, after he left the presidency, he very much did the same kind of thing. He really just went back to his farm. And this actually ties in very well with that story that I'm going to tell over on the Patreon side of things that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, it's going to be it's going to it's going to mesh up very well with this. How many politicians? are content to just return to their farm for, to mow and make and cart hay around their farm. How many of them even have a farm? How many of them have ever worked on a farm? How many of them even know what a farm really is or how that works? That is to say, how many of them really understand how the feeding of the world actually happens? They make a lot of laws about the feeding of the world. They make a lot of laws about the distribution of that food and the mowing and the making and the carting of that food. But do they even know anything about it, like John Adams did, like so many other of the Founding Fathers did? They actually had their hands in the dirt. Now, I know what it's like to work on a farm, a little bit, and I've had my hands in the dirt. And it's, uh, it's a different kind of life. It's a good life. And it really adds perspective to things that you wouldn't otherwise have if you've never put your hands in the dirt. And I think that's partly why John Adams was such a good character. Don't overlook that. And don't forget who John Adams really was the farmer. He was a lawyer, I understand, politician. He he had been he had been circling around politics for some time, Massachusetts council, etc., whatever. But uh, before when, when it was colony and eventually Continental Congress, Vice President of the United States, President of the United States. 
I don't think he ever stopped being a farmer, though, really, in his heart. I think it was a simple life he really appreciated more than anything else. The rest of it was a lot, was very stressful. Because, again, keep in mind, you know, the, the money wasn't like it is today for these people. You know, people go into politics today, they become millionaires. How, does, how in the world does that happen? How do so many politicians become millionaires? You ever ask yourself that question? John Adams, in John Adams' time, it, it wasn't really that way. And I, I honestly do believe that a society would be doing itself a great service by forcing its politicians, and I do choose those words specifically, by forcing its politicians to periodically return to the farm to mow, make, cart, hay, and other things, and to put their hands in the dirt for a period of time. I, I think a little physical labor would probably do them a good service. And honestly, I, I think it wouldn't. I think a great many of the American people would agree with me. I mean, how many of you would enjoy seeing your politicians actually out on a farm working for long hours a day, for weeks on end, for a period of time? How many of you would enjoy that, like John Adams had to do on his farm back when he was he was around in the 1770s and before that? I think it might add some character. But um, that's uh, that's all that we have from the letters for John Adams today. I really hope you enjoyed this discussion and this conversation. Uh, if you did, again, reach out to me if you can. Reviews. Uh, Patreon if you decide to do so. I appreciate you all. I, I don't get mad if you're not a Patreon supporter, of course. Uh, I, I, I'm Honestly, I'm thrilled that you're listening to the podcast. Uh, and I'm really thrilled with those folks who are sharing the podcast. And I can kind of tell that, that, that there are some folks out there sharing the podcast. I can tell when that happens because of the way the numbers come in. And where where people are listening to the podcast um and i really appreciate that as much as i do anything else you got you folks are fantastic i really think we've got a great audience of folks here on this podcast growing it's a very young podcast very young podcast only about a month and a half into this thing and we've got many many months or even years to go so you folks are doing an amazing job out there sharing the podcast uh those of you who are doing that and i really appreciate it. i do not take it for granted i'm a one-man band here it's just me doing this podcast i literally have no staff not a single human being actually working on this podcast with me it's just me and for you folks out there to be sharing the podcast and helping to get the word out about it is is an amazing thing and i really appreciate it um so with that said we're going to finish up this podcast in the next section i got a few more words about thanksgiving to say if you want to skip over that you can uh that's all i'm going to say in the, in the remainder of this podcast but let's do that in the next section of this podcast. All right. Well, on the note of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is uh, is a good time to reflect back on some of this material. Why? Because, well, you know, the founding of the country, it's something that, that we're all grateful for. Would we would we have a Thanksgiving really without without the founding of the United States? And eh, probably not. And I mean it obviously the origin of Thanksgiving dates from before the United States was a thing and well before the founding fathers even, but you know, it's it's very much a um, you know classic American tradition, and in in the in the topic of this podcast, the uh, founding of the country and the letters from our founding fathers, I think uh, I think about that a lot on Thanksgiving. You know, the, the beginning of this country and why we're all here. You know, there's 320 million people in the United States, and that's I I wonder sometimes if the founding fathers could really appreciate just how large the country has become, not just geographically but uh, population-wise. It's a uh, it's quite a quite an amazing thing, really, and the fact that it's all managed to be held together still by the Constitution of the United States. That's pretty spectacular, and I certainly hope that continues in the future. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and you know, on Thanksgiving, I'm certain definitely thankful for all of that. And uh, so, whoever whoever is listening to this uh, this particular podcast episode at this point, if you're still with me on this uh, on this uh, episode and listening to this section, I, I certainly hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Whether you're spending it with family, friends, by yourself, whatever the case may be, and I hope you uh, are able to do something. Um, that uh, that you enjoy on Thanksgiving. There's a lot of folks who you know don't get to spend Thanksgiving with their families. I mean, we kind of forget about it. But like for example, um, you know, soldiers serving in the military. Some of them are deployed overseas and don't get to come back for Thanksgiving this year or any given year. Just depends. There's also folks who work uh, in normal jobs uh, who don't get to come back for Thanksgiving every year or even most years. Uh, truck drivers, perfect example. Of that uh, the folks who keep the uh, the country going. Truck drivers have always kind of been a, a sometimes forgotten group of individuals in the United States, and they, you know, they're still out there on the road on Thanksgiving. I see them out there. I've been on the road on Thanksgiving before, and truck drivers are still they're still trucking because you know food still has to get to the grocery stores. All of that inventory still has to get to the store by Black Friday or the weekend after, and it has to keep coming in every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And the truck drivers keep it keep it going. 
And I'm thankful I'm thankful for them for doing that. So it's a big sacrifice they make staying out there on the road and moving everything across this uh this this country. Gasoline at the gas stations even. That 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 disappears real fast if you don't have truck drivers bringing that stuff in. So don't forget about those folks this Thanksgiving either. The uh, either the soldiers over the seas or the truck drivers or maybe it's people working in the in factories somewhere still that that actually show up to work on Thanksgiving or sometimes even in the restaurants. There's people who work in restaurants on Thanksgiving. Uh, once upon a time, many many years ago, I actually worked in a restaurant and I did work on at least one Thanksgiving that I can recall. And it was a busy day actually. A lot of people showed up to the restaurant that day. There's still folks out there keeping the country moving on Thanksgiving, even though a lot of us, uh, including myself at this point, I don't have to work on Thanksgiving much anymore. Uh, once upon a time I did, but not, not in recent years, certainly. But uh, there's a lot of folks out there keep the country going while the while we're celebrating Thanksgiving. So a big thank you to those folks out there. If any one of you folks are listening to this podcast that are that are keeping the country going on Thanksgiving, thank you so very much for what you do. Uh, some of it is thankless work. <laughs> At times, because I, 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 I was there, I remember. And uh, but uh, it it is it is very important work. No matter what you're, I don't care what you're doing. If you're out there working on Thanksgiving, it's important. You know, you're you're keeping the country moving. Whether it's working in restaurants or whether it's uh, driving a truck across the highway or whether you're uh, serving as a soldier overseas or somewhere else uh, in the world, in the country, whatever what have you. Uh, thank you very much for what you do. And of course, there's um, there's always got to be doctors and nurses on staff at hospitals during Thanksgiving. You can't just evacuate the hospitals and have nobody on staff. So there's folks working there as well that are keeping things moving along. Big thank you to those folks. And I can't name everybody. I can't uh, think of everybody who's working on Thanksgiving, but uh, there's a whole lot of folks who do it. And uh, I, I don't forget about you. I know you're out there and I know you're working hard. I hope you enjoy this podcast if you're listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Absolutely. Definitely have a have, have a good Thanksgiving. On that note, of course, if you want to continue supporting the podcast, just share the podcast. If you're, if you're sitting down with somebody Thanksgiving, talking to friends and family, uh, just share the podcast with them. Let them know, hey, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're thankful for uh, what the Founding Fathers did 250 years ago and our ability to be here in the United States... Uh, on this uh, on this Thanksgiving, there's a, there's a great podcast you can listen to. Here it is. Just pass the podcast along, see if they like it. It's a good opportunity to get together with family and, and share things like that. And I certainly appreciate that. I really do. I, like I said, I know there's folks out there who are sharing the podcast around it. That's a big deal to me. You know, that means a lot. You know, I, I I'm just I now I'm, I'm kind of just very humbled by it and, and very appreciative that you folks trust me to deliver this material to you and that you've chosen this to be a podcast that you'll listen to and spend your time on it's that's a huge deal for me you know it really is i don't take i'll never take that for granted i don't think it'll ever be not a big deal to me i don't think no matter how many people listen to this podcast i don't think it'll ever stop being a big deal so thank you for that uh check out patreon if you want some additional content over there uh patreon.com slash podcast with roman got some uh additional podcasts i'll talk more about that on the next episode i got some other stuff i'm working on i'll update you uh on on the patreon side of things next episode and that's going to be episode 16 so thank you for joining me on this episode 15 of the podcast, and I certainly look forward to seeing you folks on the next episode. We're going to have some fun on the next episode. I hope you had fun on this one. And with that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you.